You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hey, Live Different Podcast listeners. Are you ready to put into practice the things that you've heard about on this podcast? I'm talking about going out there and getting out of your comfort zone, expanding your network, your worldviews, expanding your horizons, maybe doing things for the first time like practicing yoga, like climbing a volcano, like going surfing, like not doing any of that and actually taking some time for yourself for once. Look, I'm here to tell you about Under 30 Experiences, the travel company for young people for ages 21 to 35, which I'm the co-founder of. I would love to see you someplace awesome in the world. I'm talking about Bali, Indonesia. I'm talking about Peru and Machu Picchu, the rainforest of Costa Rica, the beaches of Nicaragua, snorkeling in Belize with sharks. I'm talking about experiencing the culture of Mexico and Tulum. How about a volcano in Iceland? How about the beautiful green emerald isle of Ireland? Maybe going up to Scotland with us to experience massive waterfalls. Come to Paris. Hang out at the state we have rented. Look, I don't need to sell you on this stuff. The trips are amazing. I'm on my way to France. Then I'm going to Colombia. Later, I will be in Peru and Costa Rica. Come hang out under30experiences.com. Peace out. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Live Different podcast. Welcome back after a long hiatus. Not too long, just a few weeks, but uh, this is your host, Matt Wilson, and I have been all over the world since we last uh, communicated, but now I am here with Paul Angoni, and uh, he is a millennial speaker. He's got a handful of books out, a cool online course, a couple books that I'm interested in talking to him about, 101 Secrets for Your 20s, and then Grown Up, Searching for Self, Faith, and a Freaking Job. He's got a free white paper on his site, Five Secrets for Effectively Engaging, Leading, and Retaining Millennials, which I'm going to have to talk to you about, Paul, because uh, as an employer, even millennial to millennial, it's tough to tough to keep people sure. around. And uh, I want to ha- really hear how we can get people unstuck today. So with that introduction, Paul, I forgot to mention, you are endorsed by Seth Godin in your book and on your home page. That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. He's been a previous guest uh, for under 30 CEO in our interview series. So Paul, without further ado, what's happening? Man, it's just good to be here. I'm glad to talk to you, Matt. And, uh, and, uh, I think we can end right after that intro. I don't think it's going to get much better after that, but, uh, I guess we should have a conversation anyway, since we're here. I mean, if you want to drop the mic, I've got things to do <laughs> later today. We're a, we're a no, I don't think that'll seconds. be too helpful for anybody. It's just, uh, the elongated business card. Uh, so I guess we should probably have a conversation, probably even more helpful. All right, Paul, let's get into it. Uh, tell me, tell me your story. How'd you get into this? And, uh, yeah, t- tell us some things. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think it all started with me after college and just basically feeling like a complete failure. Uh, I, I would say that's where my story starts and just being so overwhelmed with the huge looming questions of what do I want to do with my life and how in the world do I figure this out? Uh, I graduated from college as a communication studies major 
which basically prepared me to do everything and nothing at the exact same time. And, uh, and so I really had no clue. Where do you even go from here? How do you start this process of figuring out what are you supposed to do with your life? And so it was a really intense season for me as I shared my questions with friends. I started realizing I wasn't the only one struggling with this. And so, gosh, that was about 10 years ago now. And that's when I just started writing about it, started asking questions to myself and struggling to find the answers. And that's where that passion birthed. It was really out of a lot of confusion, struggle, pain, uh, frustration, and really figuring, figuring, feeling like my life was not turning out like it was quote unquote supposed to, and really struggling with that. So that's where it started for me, and it's continued on through that, you know, through now getting books published and having a website and courses and all that, but really started and was birthed out of a lot of failure and feelings of disappointment on my end. I, I got you, Paul. And uh, yeah, I understand. I talked to so many young people who are going through that type of thing. Uh, as you probably know, I am the co-founder of a travel company for young people from the ages of 21 to 35. And we try to get people out and just travel and learn about the world and connect with each other and take a break from their day-to-day so that's what brought me to Bali and Machu Picchu and Costa Rica and Colombia and France and wherever else I went uh, all across the world just sure, this summer. Sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, these are the kind of conversations that we end up happening on trips. The trips are in no way like, uh, hey, come, we're going to figure out your life. But when you travel and you're sitting there and you're, you're staring at Machu Picchu, you do wonder what the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life? What am I doing with my life? Sure. Um, so I, so I totally hear you. So there's a few people who are listening right now, a few different types of people. So there's, there's the one person who is stuck, right? Uh, and not just one person. Yeah. You, you are not alone, which is probably a big uh, part of your message. Everyone's going through this type of thing, right? So there are the people who are, are stuck and really looking to get unstuck, as you say. But then also there are the peak performers, and there are also people who – are really good at this and have this figured out and want to help other people with this or just interested in how you struck out for your yourself, uh, how, how you went out for yourself and, and started this type of thing. So I'd like to yeah. cover, you know, advice for, for people who are stuck, but then the people who aren't stuck, look, we're all in this together. If you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are stuck, well, then you got to help them out if you can, or you got to find new friends or something as, uh, as one of the themes on, on the podcast is just finding new friends, which of course, uh, is part of what we do with under 30 experiences. But yeah, tell, tell me, uh, tell me a little bit more, right? So you tried to figure it out and then, then what was your first, what was your first step? Yeah, my first step was really writing about it for myself, and, and I was traveling around for a sales job that I didn't really want to be doing, and feeling very much alone, like you mentioned, traveling around in uh, motel rooms, and just either you know either I sit on this bed and watch another rerun rerun of Friends, and just feel like I'm doing nothing with my life, or I start trying to get down to the root of okay, what am I really struggling with? How do I figure that out? So I started writing about it. And that created, you know, that's when it all started for me. Of then I want to, you know, I want to help other people with this. I want to get a book published. How do I go about doing that? And then that starts a really long story of, of taking about eight years of trying to get a book published and getting a, a lot of rejection, getting very close, waiting for that yes, 
but it never really coming. Uh, even with a good literary agent and going through all the traditional channels, it just didn't really work for me. It was right as the Great Recession was kicking in. The economy was really taking a hit, and so no publisher was going to take a risk on a new author. So uh, so I basically started over, and I uh, went back and got my master's degree. I started a website out of my master's degree. I researched a lot of generational issues within the workplace and outside of the workplace between millennials and boomers, and uh, and I created a website out of the kind of the struggles that I felt like 20-something we're going through, and I, you know, I called it allgrownup.com, and grown as if you're groaning in pain, G-R-O-A-N, uh, because that's what I felt like it, it was for me, and that's when I really started being able to connect with my audience, not waiting for a publisher to give me the green lights, and uh, and really just connecting them with them right where they're at, and, and it grew from there, and it took a, a while to grow a website to get traction, and, and it was about an eight-year process uh, before I saw really any fruit uh, of any of those endeavors. So it, it was a tough road. It was not simple. It wasn't easy. Uh, I almost quit numerous times. But but in the end, it was always that passion of, man, I can't quit now because I know so many people are going through this. i got to keep trying. And, and then I had one article take off. And it was called 21 Secrets to Your 20s. It went viral. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know your website could crash because you're, you're getting too much traffic. That was never a problem of mine before, and uh, and then a lot of people stuck around, and uh, and I was able to turn that that blog post into my first book. I was able to convince a publisher at that point uh, to take Twenty One Secrets Your Twenties, make it One Hundred and One Secrets Your Twenties. They gave me about a month to write that book, so I had about a month deadline to turn a blog post into a full book. And I said, sure, uh, of course I can do that because I've been waiting eight years for that opportunity, that chance. And so that's when it started for me to really to really take off. And I left my full-time job after uh, 101 Secrets Your 20s released. Uh, a few months after, I, I left my full-time job in marketing where I was working at a, a university and went out on my own as kind of this hybrid author, speaker, entrepreneur, whatever I try to call myself in any, any given day. That, that's awesome, Paul. I want to go back to the very beginning where you said, I started writing about it for myself. And did you write about it for yourself in your, in your journal, in your notebook, in your diary, whatever you want to call it, and then you started publishing it? Or was, was there some resistance along the way to, uh, to publishing this and letting other people read it? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, I started writing about it. It was almost like it was a journal, but but I was thinking about it in the sense of I want this to be a book, but I literally had no idea what my book was going to be about. So I just started writing about really the frustrations I was experiencing and kind of my story as it was unfolding. And, and I probably did that for six months where I just was writing and writing chapters without really any sense of, man, this is where this is going. I don't I don't necessarily have this strategic plan and all these this outline of chapters. It wasn't that structured. It was just more of an outpouring of my heart and my frustration and my questions, and I was trying to make sense of that. And then I would I would started letting people read it, just friends mainly, and uh, and their feedback encouraging because they felt like I was touching on something that they were also seeing and experiencing, and that I was my voice was resonating with them. And so that's when I really felt like I was onto something. But but it took me a lot of rewrites and a lot of editing and a lot of 
um, you know, going back and trying to figure out, okay, what really is the story that I'm trying to tell here uh, through my own story, through the vehicle of my own story. Um, you know, and it took a lot, a long time to figure that out. So I often tell 20-somethings, you know, it's kind of a good metaphor of life. You know, you got to have the courage to write a crappy first draft in your 20s. You got to get, you got to just get the words down on paper. And in about seven rewrites later, you might really start seeing kind of the, the outcome of that story beginning to unfold in a way that you never would have envisioned before, but you had to go through all those pages. You know, sometimes you have to write a hundred pages and you get to page 101 and 101 was really the page that you needed to get to, but you had to write those first hundred pages to get to 101. Even if nobody might see those first hundred pages, you're an important building block to get to 101. No, I, I couldn't agree more and uh, I'm a huge fan you heard me reference the word resistance, and uh, if you know Seth Godin, you've probably heard of his friend Stephen Pressfield, who writes The War of Art, and it's about the internal war, the internal struggle. You put it out there, but then you say, oh, God, who, want, who the hell wants to read this? Or, oh, geez, I yeah. really need to sharpen my skills or uh, what, whatever, whatever the, the resistance that goes through your head. So I, I really try to, uh, to tell the reader or to tell the listeners, you know, just encourage people to put it out there. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a person who's been, who's been blogging probably as, as long as you have. It sounds like we're about the same age. I'm, I'm 30 years old and came, uh, came out of school in, in 2008 when you sit, as you mentioned, the Great Recession and all of that. But uh, it was hard yeah. to put my stuff out there at, at first. Um, but you become more confident. You strengthen that muscle. And the more you do something, the more you face your resistance, the, the stronger, yeah. the better you get at it. And uh, it's cool to hear that your site, All Grown Up, grew organically. Uh, we had Tucker Max on the show. And uh, Tucker's helping people write books themselves. A book in a box is his new thing. And he's saying, look, my crazy scandalous story is just, st just started by me emailing my buddies uh, the crazy shit I did over the weekend. Now he's a completely different person, uh, of course. But yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's, cool to he it's cool to hear that your, your thing started organically. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, I tried to go the traditional routes, you know, going through all the traditional channels of kind of these gatekeepers that will allow you to kind of enter into the kingdom. And in, in the book world, that's literary agents, that's acquisitions editors, that's traditional publishers. And um, and it didn't work for me. And I really learned the, the ins and outs, the business side of, of the publishing world was basically they don't want to take a risk on any unknown. They don't want to take a chance. They, they, they need you to have a built-in audience, a built-in built-in platform. So you hear those words a lot these days. And, and whether you're an author or not, I mean, building that audience, building um, even that, that skill to be able to communicate is so important and so crucial. So I never wanted to blog. I never wanted to create a... I didn't want to do any of that. I just wanted to get a book published. But I was forced to come back and go through that avenue because I, I didn't know how else you connect with an audience nowadays. Well, I guess I'll start writing a blog. Um, and it did take time. It took a lot of time to to build that skill, to hone that voice, to figure out what's resonating with people, what angles are working. But really, it's an amazing thing, and I and I encourage anybody that might be interested in writing a book. I, you know, the best way to write a book is to start a blog, and to start there. 
especially if it's a nonfiction book, because um, really you're market testing your ideas. If we're putting it in a business kind of box, you know, you're putting your ideas out there, you're market testing them, you're seeing what's working, and then that will make your book even stronger. And you can even take some of that material and put it in a book. Uh, and that's what happened to me with 101 Secret 20s. About half of the book was blog articles I'd already written, and that were the best. They were the most um, shared articles and resonated the most. So I knew that it worked. So why not put it in my book? And, and I think it helped uh, that book be successful. Uh, cause it was tested so much with, with my audience. Easy. I, I, I love that. And, uh, you're, you're showing people right now that writing a book doesn't have to be this huge, uh, huge audacious task that you could never go through. No, break it up into 21 blog posts and, uh, and, and go with it that way. Um, Paul, so that, that's cool that you thought about this unconventionally. And, uh, speaking of a little, Unconvention, if I can use that word in that fashion, I don't know. My my English has gotten worse since I've started studying <laughs> other languages and then been living in Costa Rica. So I just make stuff up at this at this point in whatever language I'm trying to uh, to get across. But you said something about gatekeepers and yourself being a uh, an expert on millennials, or or at least you provide people with some insights into. Uh, how to manage millennials. Let's talk about the gatekeepers because I think that the general Gen Y millennial idea of gatekeepers is, excuse me, uh, but fuck the gatekeepers. Could could you agree? Could you agree with that? <laughs> I maybe not put it exactly like that because I don't know if I'd want to be quoted on that at a at a corporate event or something. <laughs> but but there is that definite sense of this doesn't make sense to me. You know why? Why are you standing in my way and saying that there's only one path to make this happen? And I think with our generation, you know, with millennials, Gen Y especially, you know, we, we've grown up in an age where that hasn't really been our reality. You know, it's if, if you can't do it this one way, well, there's a hundred other ways that you can do it. You just got to tweak, fail, try again. Um, and I think many of us, we have that kind of mentality of, okay, well, it didn't work like this. Well, let's find a way to make this work. And the people that are standing in my way and saying, no, you can't do it like that. Yeah. I think many of us want to say, well, you know, I'm going to find, <laughs> I'm going to go past you and I'm going to find a different way. And I don't care if you say it's not going to work or not. Uh, because you know, I call it getting reality checked to death and there's a lot of reality checkers out there that they want to give you that high dose of reality, you know, saying that this is all the reasons why this won't work. Um, but, it, but it even goes back to, you know, Seth Godin, who we've quoted a few times and who's, a, you know, obviously an amazing voice and somebody who I look up to. And, and he has this quote about, you know, it's, it's, it's really easy to um, follow a cookbook with instructions to follow, but it's, it's hard to create a chef book. And, um, and I think that's what our – we want to create chef books. We don't want to just follow the cookbook with instructions. We're trying to create our own. And, um, and I think there's a lot of power in that. And it can be very frustrating as well because you're not following a set path of this is how you do things. But honestly, I think what our generation is figuring out too is that there is no set path because all those set paths are gone. You know, our generation, we came into the real world, quote unquote, and many of us are trying to grab hold of that American dream as that American dream was exploding right in our face. So we were being hit with all this shrapnel because the things that worked or that appeared to work no longer worked. And so, yeah, I think 
our generation has been hit face first with that concept of, well, I got to find a way to make this work with the tools, with the resources I have. And I'm not going to stop. Even if all these people say, you know, you're crazy, that there's no way this is going to happen, which I definitely got some of those on my eight year journey of rejection and making zero money off pursuing being an author. But I definitely think that's hardwired in millennials and in Gen Y, which there's the pros and cons and the things to challenges and opportunities with that for sure. Absolutely. And if, our millennial generation wants to be the innovators. They want to be the movers and shakers. They want to be the kids who are starting disruptive industry. Companies that disrupt industries with technology. I mean, you hear you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Paul Agnoni said, "Fuck the gatekeepers." That's that's what I heard. <laughs> Somebody tweet that. But no, seriously. If and the people from the older generations, right? They get some of them get it, and the ones who that that do are usually the ones that are funding these companies. They're they're funding sure. those people who are these young people who are saying we can go and uh, and break down these old paradigms that don't have to be this that, that don't just don't have to be this way. <laughs> so, Paul, my question is for you: Is how do we create more chefs? Yeah, that, that is the question, right? And I think for many of us, especially if you're in that category where you feel stuck, where you feel like I am not a chef right now at all. I'm a cog with a tie on and a cubicle or whatever it looks like for you, but you definitely don't feel like you're on that track of writing your own chef book. Um, and that, that's where I created, and I, I was trying to think of this idea, and I've been all, all, through all the research and writing, trying to really encapsulate this idea of how do you find your purpose and your calling or your passion or whatever word we want to put around this, uh, it can feel so overwhelming. And I was always so frustrated with that question of what's your passion or what's your purpose. So I'm like, I have no idea. So that's where I started thinking about this concept. And, 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 and it came really from some inspiration from that Seth Godin quote of, uh, of finding your signature sauce. And, and that's the metaphor I like to use, and some people laugh and think it's corny, and some people like it. But I love this idea of us being chefs in a kitchen, and we have these ingredients in front of us. And, and the ingredients are really parts of our lives. And we're trying to figure out the amounts and the mixture of those ingredients to create a flavor that the world needs, that the world is waiting for, that no one else can bring to the table. And, um, and I'm kind of obsessed now with watching all these chef documentaries that are out there, like Chef's Table on uh, Netflix. Uh, if you've seen that, Matt, or your listeners have seen that, it's this amazing documentary where they're really following the crafts of these different chefs who are really artists, who are, who are creators. And it's so interesting to see all the failure and the failed restaurants and experiments and trying to hone in on their voice as a chef. And I think that's really true for us. You know, we're bringing in these ingredients of our story and our values and our strengths and our skill set and uh, the need that we see out there in the world, you know, the problems that we want to meet. And it's how do we blend these together and start pursuing something intentionally so that we do feel more like a chef. And even when the, uh, the experiment might go up in flames, you get right back in the kitchen and you want to do it again because you've really found your passion. And I really think that's when you do find your passion is when you fail at something, but you refuse to let it fail. You just keep at it because it's so deeply ingrained in you. It's something you cannot not do. You can't stop it. 
even if you wanted to, even if you're not getting any accolades or success or monetary rewards, you just keep plugging away at it because you know how deeply ingrained it is in you and how important it is in the world. Absolutely. And to just drive home our analogy for our listeners, we're talking about teaching people to think. We're talking about becoming someone who uses all of their senses like a chef and unlike the classic McDonald's employee, right? One of my favorite books is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, a classic entrepreneurship book that talks about how you scale businesses like McDonald's because the way to really create wealth Right is to be able to do something well and do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Right, like the houses yeah, yeah. of the world, they have sold up one book a million times and made ten million bucks off that ten, you know, that ten dollar book. Right. Yeah. And, and that's to- I, and I totally get that. Right. But in the McDonald's menu, it does not say, "Hey, stick your finger in there and taste it." Hey, give those fries a little sniffy sniff. Right, that's, that, that that doesn't like like a Gary Vaynerchuk would would say if anybody gets the old school wine library uh, quote that reference that I just put put out there. You know, we're talking about teaching people how to think, and some people are born with that. Some people grew up asking a million questions like that, like I did, and then other people haven't. And I struggle as an employer to teach people how to think and just in my day-to-day life I think okay these people and I'm not talking about my employees now right I'm not talking about our team because I look for people in everyday life you just you just see people who are simply going through the motions and mm-hmm. they are not using all of their senses you know <laughs> they're just they're just reading off the McDonald's instruction manual and uh and that's not going to create more innovation in this world. So, Paul, that's a long-winded question. Is How do you teach people to think entrepreneurially? Yeah, it really is a, it's a mindset. You know, and it's, it's even in, I have a, a course that is called actually finding your signature sauce, you know, it's signature sauce.com. And that's one of the ingredients we talk about is mindset and mindfulness. And, and I bring up these kind of mindset models, uh, to start working on. And really, I think it's something that we need to practice, especially for some of us that it might not come naturally to. And for me, I don't think it does come naturally to me. I never once dreamed I would be an entrepreneur. I didn't think I had the stuff for it. I still, you know, kind of, I don't feel comfortable calling myself and I'm still that insecurity in me. So it's something I had to practice. But I think for, for any of us that uh, kind of want to grow in that kind of entrepreneurial thinking or creative thinking, it, it's, it's really forming that mindset. And I think it's really a different way to look at problems. Because I think there's two ways to look at problems. I think the people that are more in the and, and this is the growth and fixed mindset conversation too. You know, whether you read the book Mindset, you know that 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 topic has been around for a while. But Carol Dweck really pop, popularized it with with the the book Mindset. But I think people that have the fixed mindset see problems as complete barriers, you know, something I cannot get through. Oh, the world is out to get me again, or God hates me, or uh, I'll never succeed. You know, it's kind of this negative, there's this limit on how far I can go, where the people with a growth mindset, 
which involves, I think, a lot of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinking is they'll see problems and they'll see it more as an opportunity. Wow, that, that problem, this is something that it gets them excited. You know, it's something I got to do something about. I, I got to think through this. It's going to take more of me to solve this problem. And if I'm experiencing this problem, maybe there's thousands of others experiencing this problem. And maybe they need help too. You know, and that's pretty much the base of every business is a huge problem, a huge need that somebody wants to meet. And so I think it's just it's just trying to train our minds and getting excited about problems in our lives, which isn't always easy. And I don't always do that. And there's a lot of problems I don't want to face. Um, but really, that's how it started for me. It was that problem of confusion and frustration that I shared at the beginning. And then that became my life. That became my passion because I so deeply resonate with that problem. So if somebody's searching for their purpose, they feel stuck, maybe you got to look at your problems. What's really frustrating you right now? What, what's, what makes you want to pull your hair out on a very micro level or on a big macro level? And is there something you can start doing something about? How do you start alleviating that problem, even if it's, an, even if it's in a very small way? And once you do, you'll feel the energy. You'll feel the momentum starting to build because it's something personal to you, and that's powerful. Now, that's, that's excellent advice, Paul, and I want to come back uh, to mindfulness as a separate topic in a couple minutes, but I wanted to ask you about confidence because I really appreciate you being open and you being uh, vulnerable with our audience and you saying, hey, sometimes I struggle even calling myself an entrepreneur. Well, I got news for you, Paul. If you, if you worked your ass off for eight years and didn't make any money and now you have published books and you still manage to feed yourself, guess what? You are an entrepreneur, so please wear that badge uh, <laughs> with, with honor uh, because you made it. But how did you work on your confidence to say, oh, I, I am Paul and I do – uh, speak at corporate events, right? And I am qualified to be in this position, and I am a published author. And uh, how can we how can we get you to say more often that you are an entrepreneur? Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's it's a great question and a great point. And um, you know, I think for any of us, you know, and if you're if you're like me, where you feel like, man, I don't know entrepreneurs feel like these rock stars of some sorts. You know, it feels like people on the cover of these magazines or the Mark Zuckerbergs or these people that we compare ourselves to being like, how in the world could I do something like that? And, and there's a couple of things that I've had to work on that I've uh, written about that has resonated with people. One is I know I have to work on what I call the new OCD, which is obsessive comparison disorder. And, um, and it's not to make light of people that struggle with the actual OCD, but it's just my way of thinking about uh, the world that we live in now and how much obsessive comparison disorder there is taking place, especially online. And I think that can hold us back from feeling like, well, I am an author or I am an entrepreneur or I am a teacher or I am a singer or whatever it might be for you. It's because you look at the comparison of the other people in that space and you're thinking to yourself, well, I, am, I can never be like them. You know, I can never be as profound as, uh, you know, Seth Godin. I can never write a book uh, like Gary Vanderchuk and resonate with people like that or whatever, you know, whoever's in your space. And so I think we have to get away from that comparison game and just really own who we are, you know, own our, our signature sauce. That's something I'm always working on. Uh, but also, you know, just seeing my life as a wheel and my work as a wheel and trying to figure out 
out what's supposed to fit in this wheel and trying to figure out what fits um, missionally, what really resonates with me, what makes sense financially. And, and it, so that, yeah, I am an entrepreneur, but within that space of being an entrepreneur, there's the, there's the wheel, there's the spoke of writing, there's the spoke of speaking, there's the spoke of consulting and, and all the different things that I might do under that umbrella so it's not like it's just one thing. Oh, I'm just I'm just driving at building this one company. Well, for for us, that might your your business might be you. It might be your voice and your your ideas and your input. That could that could look like and mean a lot of different things that you can't see right now. You'll only be able to see five years from now after you've walked down that path, and more opportunities emerge. And that's what's happened for me uh, as I pursued that passion. More opportunities have come about. I completely agree, Paul, about uh, really I think what you're getting at here is that we are in a – not only our generation, but we are in a point in history where everybody needs to be more entrepreneurial themselves and it's just becoming the, the norm. Right. And yeah, you don't want to say, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I did this. I'm that. You know, it's it, – it's just it seems kind of egoic and it seems kind of I don't know I think the the hustle hard like all this kind of hype stuff about uh, what people who start businesses do is I don't know I think that's played out a little bit right but that's yeah. the thing in the, this day and age you got you got to go after it because we don't have the safety and security that our parents did in these corporate jobs. Uh, with these pensions, yeah. with you know, it's I'm certainly not going to wait around for for my social security check when when I get old. You know, I want to have that figure. I want to have that figured out. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are changing. There's a lot of things that are just you know, it's a very industrial revolution idea mindset to be to be taken care of. You know, and this is a this is a new paradigm like we're talking about. Um, so anybody who wants to use it, I mean, look, use it lightly, but just as a, as a Robert Kiyosaki would say, mind your own business. For That's like an old school rich yeah. dad, poor dad quote, right? Um, but I, I like what you, what you said about the, uh, the, the OCD, obsessive comparison disorder. I mean, that's, that, that's everyone's plague in... In every, in so many different facets of life, whether it's in the gym and, oh, this girl's skinnier than I am, and, oh, this girl fits into a size four when I fit into a size six, and, you know, that kind of crap is, is a, yeah, yeah, it's just terrible for everyone's psyche, so, and, and I have suffered from it as well for, for many years, especially in business, because when all these new tech companies are coming out and there's all these new fancy business models and this person's doing this and this person's raising venture capital and, oh God, this person got a hundred likes on his thing on Facebook. That must be the new thing now. <laughs> That's just a lot of noise. And uh, I used to, uh, you know, I didn't call it obsessive comparison disorder. I just called it a, a dick measuring contest because that's, you know, you're just comparing <laughs> yourself to everybody else. And, and that's, not, that's not any fun at all. So you guys can quote me on that. Don't, please don't quote Paul on, on that one. Uh, but yeah, man, how, how did you 
did you shut did you shut down your Facebook? Did you stop uh, hanging out with people who all they wanted to do was talk about themselves? What were your strategies for getting over this obsessive comparison disorder? Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Um, you know, I think it, it was really just being, you know, yeah, you could do some practical things like just not being on Facebook as much or realizing what really uh, brings out obsessive comparison disorder in you. You know, like for one, like I used to just mindlessly, really, I would watch, you know, shows like House Hunters International or something, you know, like these reality, quote unquote reality, where it's this couple on their, their search for their new home and it's like well do I buy the $500,000 home with the den or the $550,000 home and I remember every time I end up watching that show I would feel so terrible like what am I doing I can't I'm in an apartment with my wife you know I don't have $5,000 right now and so I just felt like crap and so there was some things like well maybe I should just stop watching that show if it makes you feel so terrible every time just don't watch it that's okay uh, they're not going to mind uh, so there were some tangible things like that, but, but also I think just being more mindful and aware, uh, and trying to catch myself in the process. So when you start feeling those feelings coming about, you know, you know, I like, you know, like you could go to the grocery store and you're pumped about life and you're like buying kale and arugula and you're going to do something healthy and you're just you're like, I'm a full fledged adult. I'm doing great. And then you get on Facebook and like the back of the uh, grocery line, you know, you're in line, you're about to buy this stuff. You get on Facebook, you start scrolling through, you know, look at their amazing life, look at their amazing house, look at their amazing spouse, whatever it might be, you know, and by the time you're in the front of the line, you're, you're ditching the kale, you're getting the big bag of M&Ms, oh. you're finding the box of wine, you know, whatever it takes because you just want to medicate yourself because you, those feelings of anxiety and, you know, just feeling like crap. So it's trying to cut those off at the legs, you know, it's trying to cut it off saying, no, if you're going that, down that path and really that downward spiral is saying, no, no, I got to stop this. No, let me get off of this. Let me stop this thinking, you know, and, and just, and just start. It's again, that habit It's training your mind, training your body that when you're going down that path to stop it as, as soon as you can, because you know what it's going to lead to. Um, and it's a comparison disorder is really a killer and you, and you won't be able to do any good work. Honestly, you, ju you just won't. You won't create anything worth creating if you're constantly trying to create something that's going to appeal to everybody and everybody's going to everybody's going to love. It's just not going to work that way. Uh, and so you have to cut it out. If you're going to be a chef, you, you can't be worried about what everybody's going to because you're going to get those negative critiques. It's going to happen. Um, and that means you're doing something different. And that, that's a great sign in, in many ways. No, you, and you, you can't please everybody. And if anybody is struggling with this, go and one of the suggestions, suggested books for the episode War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. He has a great chapter on uh, just getting your work out there and don't do it for your audience. Don't write for your audience. He takes the, you know, usually the first rule in writing is know your audience. Well, he says, no, write because that this is what you want to do. This is the message that you need to leave here on planet earth. And, uh, whoever likes it, likes it. If they don't like it, that's fine too. Uh, but at least you're being your authentic self, which is, I'm so glad you segued us naturally Paul, into mindfulness because you gotta you gotta become aware of your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions right your body's response to your thoughts while you're scrolling through instagram and you're like 
oh, look at this skinny bitch, you know, in this yoga pose. Well, that's not very nice. That's not the point of yoga. Don't go to yoga uh, and, and come back feeling worse because and I hear this all the time. We try to give people. We have a, a yoga retreat, small plug yoga retreat coming up January 11th through 16th with under 30 experiences. But the point is not to compare yourself to to these girls who can can stand on their tits, right? That's not the point. You gotta, you, you gotta be able to become comfortable in your own body. And it's not a competition. It's a, it's, it is in no way competitive. Uh, you know, please do not have obsessive comparison disorder during a, a yoga class or at the grocery store or, or in on Instagram because look, guess what? It's probably photoshopped. You know, at the at the end of the day, uh, we need more authenticity in in this world and observing your own thoughts and disconnecting from House Hunters International, which not only you know makes you makes you feel bad about yourself because maybe I don't have this or maybe I don't have that. Then guess what they do every ten minutes is they place ads in there that make you want more stuff that people have been designing for fifty some years on Madison Avenue to, to warrant these responses in your body to make you pull out your wallet. Uh, so that's my take on, on mindfulness. Paul, do you have some, uh, some actionable advice to people becoming more mindful? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one thing I'm constantly saying and thinking about is the, is the idea that we're all struggling, but we're all struggling to make it appear like we're not struggling. Uh, and that's just not a healthy combination that's taking place. And so I think being mindful is being courageous enough to be vulnerable with people you trust, to have honest conversations with uh, a community around you, you know, with mentors, with teachers, with your parents, whatever it might be. So you don't feel isolated. You don't feel like I'm, I'm alone and I'm the only person going through this because I think that's the most dangerous place you can be in with, with all of this. And it will be really hard to be mindful if you don't have any trusted, wise people uh, speaking into your life. And so, for, you know, don't do this alone. You know, don't, you know, one of the most, uh, you know, important books and movies that I've come across that was kind of a warning to me in this mindfulness arena really was, was, the, um, was the movie and the book Into the Wild, which, uh, which I write about in my book, 101 Secrets of Your Twenties. But I'm sure a lot of people have seen that book, you know, based on the true story. But um, but he, he was really struggling, you know, Chris McCandles was really struggling with that question of what now? What do I do with my life? What's really important? And he was really trying to get away from all the crap, really, that we've been talking about, all this mass, um, you know, mass process, everything, you know, buy this, do this, this is how you be happy. Um, but it was a good reminder to me to not try to go on this great Alaskan adventure and try to do it completely alone and completely isolated um, because I need people in my life. You know, sure, there's going to be tough and really think to myself and have intentional time to think because I definitely don't think we do that enough. I think we're so addicted and so addicted to our phones, uh, especially now that we don't have any awkward moments in our lives. We don't have any moments where we don't have something, our space filled, our mind filled with something. Uh, and so we do need those times, but also to share those times with others and to have those open conversations. And you'll figure out what you're struggling with they're probably also struggling with in a different way. And that shared conversation uh, is powerful and transformative. And that's how you then start getting out of it 
because you realize you're not alone and there's no shame in what you're struggling with. You got to talk about it. Absolutely. I just had this conversation uh, with a buddy of mine named Miles. He is our uh, web developer and a travel blogger for us. He runs a website called Wellness Gangsters. Uh, so check out Miles' stuff if, if you guys are listening. But we were having this conversation that that's the root of of so much pain in today's society is that guilt and shame because we're everybody, you know, Facebook is just everyone's highlight reel, right? Uh, and yeah. not enough people are being vulnerable, are being their true authentic selves on there. And it's just a bunch of marketing or hype or, or oh, look, check out my, you know, just closed on our new house or look how yeah. cute my baby is. Well, Show me, this is, Jesus, Paul, I can't believe some of this stuff comes out of my mouth, but put a, put a picture, put a picture of your baby up as soon as it comes out. That shit is ugly, you know, I mean, don't wait three days to put the picture of your baby up there, you know, show us what it looks like when it comes, pops right out. I mean, come on, yeah. be, be real about it. So don't put a filter over, over your new yeah. newborn, you know. That's what I, uh, I often say as a dad, I've experienced three births now. I have three kids, and I often say that's the first time that I realized that you could uh, you could pass out, cry, and throw up all at the same time. I didn't know those three things were possible, but experiencing a birth, you realize those things are three things are very possible to happen all at the same time. And so, yeah, it is a little bit more gnarly than uh, than we make it look on the uh, romantic comedies or on the Facebook posts. Right? Nobody's nobody's talking about that. Please, if. Uh... Paul, if you decide to have another three children, just uh, if you could write about that, that would be excellent. I'd, I'd really yeah. appreciate that, you know? Well, we're, we're all putting our PR spins on our own lives. Right. We've all become our own PR agents, so to speak. And, um, and there's so much talk about branding and online branding and your image and how are you portraying yourself. And, and obviously, you've got to do that to some, you know, especially on LinkedIn or if you're trying to get a job, you're trying to create something. There's, you got to do something, but it's got to be authentic. It's got to be who you are. And especially in this day and age, and I think especially with our generation, uh, you know, we can smell BS from a mile away. We can smell inauthenticity and it turns us off beyond belief. You know, and I'll tell that to leaders, you know, leaders, you've got to be able to share your struggle. What are you struggling with? I know you're the head of this company, but you need to go into your meeting and talk about what you're wrestling with because that authenticity is what's going to let uh, your staff trust you. And that's the same with friends, you know, your authenticity, what you're struggling with, that's going to let people in and feel like they can trust you because we all know that we're struggling with stuff. But if you keep pretending like you're not, well, you create this wall, this barrier, because it just becomes another PR spin amidst all the other noise and marketing slogans and everything else that's false. And we don't want to just get lumped in, into that, into that noise. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Paul. And that, and that's why I like to say – that's why I like to try to be as authentic as possible in my writing, on my Facebook, uh, on this podcast. That's the joy of independent media and we are all independent media publishers. If you have more than five Facebook friends, look, you're an independent media publisher. Go on there and publish a note. Those things still exist on on Facebook and you can you can talk about the things in a public forum in a community that, that you wish to, but I'm still trying to develop into my most authentic self where I'm having fun and 
I can say out loud the funny things that pop into my head that people are going to get and resonate with and try not to, uh, you know, try not to bite my tongue so much because, you know, I got a lot of thing, good things that I want to put out there and, and uh, you know, I want to be, I want to be myself and I think the more that I grow into that, right, that my, the best writing that I've put out myself, the best Facebook posts or podcasts that I've been able to do have been when I've been completely authentic and said the things that, yeah, it might be a little embarrassing if my mom heard a couple of the things, but they actually, I'm really, really close with my mom and, and she knows what I'm really like. And, uh, and I'm trying to own that as best as I can. And it's, you know, it's still a struggle. Um, and so this is this is really important just to to own it or, or as you say discover your your signature sauce uh, that's got to be a lot about authenticity right yeah you have you have to I mean you have to it's it's and then you're right that's my, my that's my book especially all grown up searching for self-faith in a freaking job I mean it's my story I'm sharing my story and I'm sharing it as vulnerably as I can and uh, and that was hard. That was really difficult, and there was definitely many times where it's like, am I going to really let this go out into the world that people are going to read this? Uh, am, do I have that kind of courage to do this? But but I but I knew that's what I needed to do because that was the book I was desperate to read when I was going through the struggle. I was desperate re- to read somebody that was down there in the mud with me that knew what it was like, that could describe the mud, that had asked the same questions, but and then could help give me a hand and help me stand up. Uh, but they knew what I was going through. And so I was so desperate for that book. That was a book I I had to write. I couldn't stop myself from writing that kind of book. And and now, you know, the emails I get, it's from people that, you know, they're crying, you know, when they're writing an email or they're saying, I just reread chapter five, seven times. And I had to find you and write you to tell you how big of an impact that's had on my life. You know, so that, that vulnerability for all of us, no, no matter what business you're in, I, I truly think that's transform. Uh, that's what transforms uh, people, and it also helps you be more successful. I mean, I really think it is, and it's not this contrived strategy to be successful. You know, it's like a marketing company or consulting company. You know, trying to consult somebody how to be more authentic, and, and that's usually a catch twenty two. You know, it's it just comes out of who you are, like you were saying, Matt. It's not censoring yourself so much. It's just saying, here's who I am. Here's what I'm struggling with. And here's how I want to inspire somebody and and help somebody through this. And so that stuff's really, truly powerful. Uh, Absolutely. And and if you're looking for – I ask this question a lot on the podcast, but I am going to ask it again to you. If you're looking for people in your life who are going to inspire you to be that best version of yourself, to be able to be your authentic self, you talked about community, teachers, and mentors where do you look in today's day and age? And those people can be on YouTube, people who you will never meet in your life, or those people can be, you know, in your, in your own local town. Uh, what, what do you got for us, Paul? I, I think you're right. It could be, it could look in many different ways. And I think probably for both of us, you know, Matt, that we have, you know, really close friends that live across the world that we might not see physically uh, now, but we are very close to, you know, and we talk on the phone, we Skype with, or we just write emails to. Um, so I think it can be a mixture of both. I can, I think it can be people that are in your community that are local, and uh, and that might involve you getting uh, in, involved in some 
local types events, you know, or clubs or uh, a faith community or whatever it might look like for you, but it's showing up and uh, it's putting yourself out there. Even if you're introverted, you know, and I know that can be tough for some of us. I'm, I lean more introverted. Uh, I'm more introverted than extroverted. So it can be tough to go meet new people. So I have to force myself to try to do that so that I, I'm not just isolating myself away. Um, but, but also through social media, through Twitter and these, these different platforms, I do think you can create meaningful relationships and connections through these platforms and really find people who are passionate about certain topics that you're really passionate in. And, uh, and it's fun to have those people around. And I have many different relationships where it starts on Twitter and then evolves from there. And, you know, then we would meet up with each other when we travel or different things. And, uh, and I love that as well. So, so there's different ways that I think we can go about it, uh, but you have to be open to it. I think you have to try. It's hard to make friends, especially after college in your twenties and thirties. It, it's not easy. So you, it, just like anything, you have to be intentional about it. Um, or it's not just going to magically show up on your step. Now I, I couldn't agree more. And just writing to the people that you admire and going to uh, the places that these people are going to be. I, I got to tell you, most of my mentors, right, the people who I have looked up to for years or just read the books or, uh, you know, seen them on YouTube, I've met most of them. I've gone out and seen them in person and I've shook their hands, you know, even if it was just like a, you know, I caught a high five from Tony Robbins. Okay, that's cool. I've seen them in person. I feel like I know them. I mean, not, it's, it's not like I, I, it's not like we text or anything, right? But there's a, a very... <laughs> Uh, there's a strong degree of being able to connect with these people, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's uh, at meetups, whether it's going to conferences. I used to do this all the time is go to conferences and stalk these people, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. they are, uh, yeah, go to, these, go to these places where your idols, your mentors are going to be and, uh, and go, go study them. Get around them, see how they act with people. I mean, it's it's an amazing world that we live in, and the we have these opportunities right there. I mean, it's been awesome to con uh, to connect with you today, Paul. Uh, this is a big reason why I podcast, and also to be able to take this conversation that we have had and be able to share it with thousands of people who will will then go and download this. And if anybody out there ever wants to connect with Paul or I. We will, uh, we will give you our contact information. Uh, it would be a pleasure to, uh, but Paul, I want to ask you before we wrap things up, I just wanted to ask you, hey, if somebody out there is trying to find their signature sauce, what is it that they have to do? Uh, wrap it up for us into a nice piece of advice that people can go and take action on today. Oh gosh. Yeah, that's a, it's a tough one. Um, well, one thing you can do is you can go on signaturesauce.com and I have a free three video series called Get Unstuck. And it really talks a lot about the kind of the finding your signature sauce, actionable steps, actionable questions you can start asking. So go to signaturesauce.com. You can access that three video series for free. Um, and that's a great place to start. Uh, but, but really, I think it's, it's being willing to start. It's being willing to make that change. And change is scary. You know, for many of us, we don't want to make changes. But I love this quote from Robert Quinn in a, in a book, Deep Change, and I, and I quote this often because he says, to, cha to change is hell, but to not change and to stay on the path of slow death is also hell. 
but the hell of change is the hero's journey. And, and so I think for any of us, if you're on that precipice, if you're on that crossroads, like, do I make a change or do I not make a change? You know, that, that idea of, am I going to live a slow death? That was really scary for me. I did not want to do that. So change is hell, but at least it's the hero's journey. So I'm going to go for that. So I think you have to at least be willing, you have to be willing to make that step. And you don't have to have any idea. How is this all going to be wrapped up? How is the little bow going to be wrapped around this package? You don't have to have it all perfectly planned out, you know, fail, tweak and try again. And failure, it doesn't ruin your story. Failure helps you write it. So don't afraid to fail and then pick yourself up and try it again. Um, and that's the hero's journey. Paul Agnoni, you are the man. You have all grown up, G-R-O-A-N, up.com. You just told all of our readers, all of our listeners to go to hell. I love it, Paul. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> you got it, man. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. This was fun. Yo, Live Different Podcast listeners, you know what to do. You love the episode if you listened this far. Go to iTunes. Show us some love. Please, that's all we ask. A little five-star review. Just a little review. That's all we need. Send it to a friend who needs to get their ass in gear. We're trying to do good work here. And we need your help. Hey, you know what? Special offer. Send me an email personally. I will write back. Matt at under30experiences.com. I want to know your feedback. And then I want to meet you in person. Maybe our yoga retreat. Maybe our fitness retreat. Who knows? Check out under30experiences.com. Go do something awesome with your life.